The book of Hebrews, a lot of people think that it was written by Paul. And there's some things that, yeah, it could be a Pauline letter, okay? And what was happening here was these Jewish believers were being drawn back or tempted to go back into Judaism or the Old Testament way of doing things. And there are a lot of things in the world today that draw Christians away from the Lord, that pull for our attention, our affection, distort, minimize the Lord, minimize the cross. We see that in the progressive church movement where Christ is minimized and it's more about what you feel and what's your truth and reality. So even though we're not dealing with Judaism so much today, we are dealing with those things that seek to draw us away from the Lord, okay? And that was the problem, putting our hope and our trust in something or someone other than the finished work of Jesus Christ. The key, I think, in this book that we're gonna see so much of is rest. Because when you were under the law, you didn't rest. You were always trying to keep the law, but the law was weak because it relied upon our own ability to keep it, which we can't. And Paul talks about how the law was the schoolmaster, the teacher, to point out the very fact that we needed a savior, okay? It had a purpose, a good purpose. This is God's standards. We don't meet God's standards. Therefore, we need God's savior. It's a good thing. But we can get caught up, just like these people, in rules, regulations, traditions, and things that weigh us down to where we don't rest. And ironically, like I said when I was praying, where resting in Christ is so much a part of this book, there are parts of this book that cause so much unrest in people's hearts. It's strange how that works. And we'll look at it briefly. But we're going to start with the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And we're just going to follow through and look at who Jesus is, what Jesus did, what it means, and that apart from him, there is no other way to go. It's just not. And it's better to just rest in him and what he's done than to try to earn a position of acceptance before God, because it ain't going to happen. Okay? It's Christ. So in chapter 1 of Hebrews, verse 1, it begins, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The Bible tells us that the Old Testament sometimes was imparted to the people by angels. We see in the Old Testament angels coming regularly and speaking to Abraham, to Lot, to Jacob, to Daniel. Okay, so there was this understanding of the work of angels in bringing God's word to the people. And it was something that was very important. All right. You think of Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad. Okay. Gabriel brought the message to Zechariah. Gabriel brought the message to Mary. Gabriel brought the message to, uh, to um, Joseph. Okay. So it begins by saying that Jesus is supreme over all. He is above every angel. He has made every angel. He has made everything. He rules everything. And this is a good thing to keep in mind because if we are in Christ, we're in a good place. We're in the best place. Okay? And so that's how the author begins. Now, if we go over to chapter 2, verse 1, there's a warning. Okay? Therefore, and he's just talking about the supremacy of Christ over the angels. Okay? And the supremacy of Christ's word over the words of the Old Testament. Okay? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, basically dis disobeying the word of God that was transmitted by the angels, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The writer of Hebrews does not want people to drift away. The word, we know what it means to drift. You don't have to do really anything to drift. If you're out in a boat on the lake and you're fishing or doing something and just resting, if you are not anchored into something solid, you just drift. The wind, the movement of the water, you just drift off course. You have to be anchored into something immovable. And the writer was concerned that these people were drifting. They were not anchoring in Christ and the finished work of Christ they were trying to look back to the law and the sacrificial system to sustain them, but there's nothing there anymore. We'll see that in a minute. And if we don't anchor in Christ, 
we're going to drift. What are we anchored in? Are we anchored into church? Not a bad thing, but it's not a replacement for Christ. Are we anchored into positions? Do we let the winds of doctrine just blow us wherever they may? Are we anchored in Christ and in the word of God? This is where we need to hold fast. Okay, this doesn't change. Jesus doesn't change. We're secure here. We're anchored. It's good. And, and the writer of Hebrews uses that later. He talks about how we have an anchor that goes into the Holy of Holies in heaven to that mercy seat. When Christ entered in as our high priest, boom, he dropped the anchor right there at the mercy seat of God. And we're secure. We're anchored in and we're not moving. Where are we anchored? Let it be Christ. And he goes on to show how Christ is everything. Verse, uh, the second part of verse 8. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering." For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus took the suffering for sin upon himself. He made everything. He holds everything together. He's in control of everything. And he gave himself for us. He's the sacrifice that's acceptable, okay? Going down, verse 14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus became flesh and blood. He walked in our shoes. He became our high priest. He knows what it's like to be in tough situations. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be thirsty. He knows what it's like to be blasphemed, to be hated by his own flesh and blood, his parents, not his parents, but his family and his own people. He knows these things. He understands what we go through. Hebrews tells us he was tempted in all things, but was without sin. The things that we face, the things that we are tempted by, we're able to go to him because of the fact that he's like been there. Yep. And he died for us, the spotless lamb of God. He bore our sins upon himself. 
That's a safe place to be. That's a strong place to be. We don't want to deviate from that. And that's why he's saying, I'm concerned that you're drifting. Going over to chapter 3, verse 12, he takes the warning up a notch. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if, we, in, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Okay? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, as in the rebellion. The sin that was being talked about here and is pointing back to Israel's sin, they didn't trust the Lord. They hardened their heart. When the Lord said, finally, it's time to go into the promised land. I've brought you here. I'm giving you this land. They said, no, we can't trust you. These people are bigger than we are. Their cities are huge. They're going to kill our wives. They're going to kill our family. Lord, you brought us to a place to destroy us. It was an affront to the goodness and the plans and the blessings of God. They were disobedient and they were rebellious. I don't want what you have, God. I don't trust that you're going to take care of me. And this is the sin that they were on the verge of committing. They're drifting. And by going back to the Old Testament sacrifices, by relying upon the law that cannot save them, they're saying, Jesus, I don't trust you. I don't think you can handle this. I'm more comfortable with the old way. I'm not going. It's not that they have doubt, okay? That's not the word unbelief. As Christians, we all doubt. I don't know of a single believer that has not had that place in life where they doubt whether or not what they believe is true. Mine came when I was an assistant pastor, okay? I should have my act together by then, you think? But I got hit. And it was three months of real soul searching and fasting and praying and trying to get this thing sorted out. It's not talking about having doubt. It's talking about unbelief. That choosing to say, I do not believe you, Jesus. I do not believe you, God. And I'm going to do what I think is best. And that's no good. And that's why, you know, when he's talking about this, he says, take care. Because it'll lead you to fall away. That's scary. To deliberately say, I'm not going to follow you, Jesus. I don't want you. You are not enough. That's not something we want to do. That's dangerous ground. And people do it. You look at the progressive church movement. All roads lead to God. 
Believe your own truth. Jesus is not God. Jesus did not die for our sin. Jesus died to show what love is. You can choose your own way to God. That's progressive church. That's dangerous. Okay? It's Christ. Chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. And it's talking about the Israelites, okay? But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. And he has said, I swore my wrath, they shall not enter that rest. This goes back to when they were at the Jordan. God provided a place of rest for them. But they chose not to take it. They didn't trust. They didn't obey. And when we try to add to Christ... When we say Christ is not enough and we're trying to earn our way to heaven, we're trying to make ourselves right with God, it's not restful. And there are a lot of people who do not rest because they freak out that maybe because they've doubted or even were a prodigal son and walked away from the Lord for a, time, for a time that maybe they can't ever go home. And they don't have rest in their hearts. They don't trust in what Jesus did. They don't listen to what Jesus talked about with the prodigal son. We all doubt. We all fall. We all stray. But thank God he does not kick us out and say, I'm done with you because you screwed up for the 30th time, the 40th time. He is patient and loving. Does he discipline us? Yes. Hebrews talks about that, okay? He corrects us because he loves us and we're his children. He wants us on the right track. But we get so hung up with performance I was hung up with performance. When I would screw up, I used to be afraid that maybe God didn't love me anymore. When I was in high school and even college, and I was screwing up and I was sinning and disobeying the Lord willfully, there were times where it's like there is no way, and Satan's right there to go, don't ask God for forgiveness again. Do you really think he wants to hear this again? Do you really think he loves you? But see, while we were enemies of God, while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. There's so much baggage we carry because this world we live in, our jobs and all are all performance-based. Relationships even. And we put that upon the Lord. And there's no rest. Christ did it all. And we can rest in what he's done. 
there is such rest in there. Chapter 4, verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Don't, don't go that way where you're trying to do it on your own and keep the law and all that stuff. It ain't going to work. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Go after the rest. Don't go back to the old way. The word of God discerns where our hearts are at. Chapter 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize in our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When I grasped this and I realized Jesus understood the struggles I faced because he faced those temptations too and that he understands what we go through and that he loves me and that because of what he did on that cross, I can go boldly with confidence before a throne of grace to get help and mercy in my struggles. I'm not alone in this. The enemy tells us, don't go to the Lord. The word of God tells us, go to the throne. When you're tempted, when you're fallen, when you're broken, be like that, that prodigal son Realize, I don't want this swill. I'm going home to daddy. And daddy will run to you. Daddy loves you. The son of God gave his life for you. There's rest in that. I could find rest when I realized Jesus understood what I faced on a daily basis because he'd been there. But he didn't sin. And I can rest upon him, his sacrifice, and his grace to help me when I need it. That's beautiful. They didn't need to go back to laws and rules and regulations that they couldn't keep in the first place. This does not mean we should be lawless, okay? It means that our position is in Christ, not in our own abilities, okay? Because of what we have, there's a life that we can live with his help. Now, going over to chapter 6, beginning in verse um, 4. This passage has been called Satan's favorite passage in the Bible. Because this passage freaks people out. This passage, out of context, scares people, binds people, weighs people, 
hurts people, robs them of the rest that Christ has purchased for them. It's sad. For it is impossible. In the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, sounds like a believer, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Can I lose my salvation? I wandered away from the Lord. I disobeyed the Lord. I walked away for a few years. I did stuff I wish I never had done. There's no room for me anymore. Somebody needs to tell Jesus that then because it doesn't match with the prodigal son. People freak out with this. This is a person who chooses to turn their back on Christ. Now, some people say that this is speculative. It's not real. It's not going to happen. And they refer to verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet, in your case, beloved, we feel sure of a better thing, things that belong to salvation. Okay? This is hypothetical. Some people teach. I don't think so. Okay? You can't lose your salvation like you lose your car keys. Okay? You can't lose your salvation because you screw up and sin. The blood of Christ. We have just been told we can come before the throne of grace to obtain help and mercy. Okay? But... Can a person renounce Christ? It's not losing, it is renouncing. It is saying, I don't want you, Jesus. I don't want you in my life. I will not obey you. I will not follow you. I want nothing to do with you, period. And they never come home. There are those who have made that decision. And I can't remember the guy's name. He was called the Billy Graham of Canada. And he wrote a book called, I Said Goodbye to God. God doesn't exist. I was wrong. There is no God. It's just us. Well, the thing is, he had been in an affair with his secretary. And when he got called on the carpet for it, he told the elders, I'm not going to stop what I'm doing. I'm not going to repent. And they removed him from ministry. And his response was fine. I'm going to do what I want. There is no God. And he preached that message to millions. There is no God. That's dangerous. Okay, 
That's dangerous. Can we reject the gift after we've tasted, after we have been saved? Looking at this for what it says, maybe. But as long as you have a heart to go home to daddy, to repent and return, it's not a problem. When you want to repent, when you want Jesus, if you're struggling and you're going, I want to do your will, but Lord, I want to come back to you and I need you. And, but will you take me back? That's probably a good indicator that you have not turned your back on Jesus Christ completely. Okay. Run home. If you've walked away, run home. There's an old Benny Hester song called When God Ran. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's an old song. But it's that picture of the prodigal son coming home smelly, tattered, torn, rebellious, all of that now broken and humble. And his father runs to him. When Jesus tells that story, the father's not sitting there with his hands on his hips going, what do you want? What do you think you're doing here? Who do you think you are? Get off my land. No. The father ran to his son, embraced him, cleaned him up, put the signal ring on his hand, and threw a party because the dead son was home. We can rest in that kind of love. We don't... God's faithful to us, okay? We screw up. He knows that. That's why His mercies are new every morning. But we need to be careful. For there are those who have rejected Christ after giving their life to Christ. And some people go, well, they were never saved in the first place. Well, maybe, you know what? Can you lose your salvation? You know, can you not lose your salvation? I think that's the wrong question. I think the issue is walk with Jesus, follow the Lord, and that'll be okay. It's simple. But we make things so complicated. In chapter 10, here's another one of those passages. Verse 23, and then we'll go down to verse 25. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who is, who is promised is faithful. Don't be shaken. Don't go off track. God is faithful. Jesus is faithful. And then it says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Oh my goodness, what does that mean? Remember what the sin that he's talking about. He's talking about turning away from the Lord, going back to the old sacrificial system, going back to the law. And he's saying, look, there isn't a sacrifice over here for sin anymore. You want to be reared with God and you want to abandon Christ to go over here. Jesus is the Passover lamb. Jesus is the last sacrifice. There isn't anything over here anymore. 
There no longer remains a sacrifice for sin because Christ is the final sacrifice. So for you to go back, there's nothing else to go back to. It's Christ alone. That's all. That's what he means by this. And there are so many today, again, different church movements and stuff who promote this idea that we can be right with God separate from Christ. We can't. It just doesn't work. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other sacrifice and our works definitely are not going to cut it. Never could, never have, and that's why Christ came. It's not about this losing of our salvation and whatnot. It's about abandoning Christ for other things, an other way of righteousness. It doesn't work. We drift, we fall away. We get hurt, we get destroyed. And probably all of us in this room know people who have tapped into something else, another doctrine, another type of, you know, hey, you got to do these things plus Jesus. And it just weighs them down. It hurts them. It burns them out. It's Christ. That's where we rest. In Christ. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, chapter 11, we know it's the hall of faith. Okay? It's all about faith. It's all about looking to Jesus. Not the, not the law, not the Old Testament sacrifices. All of that pointed to Jesus. Okay? And the writer of Hebrews talks about this before this, saying, you know, look, the priests, you know, they were temporary. They died. Christ is eternal. He is our eternal priest. And he sacrificed once for all. It's finished. That's what Jesus shouted from the cross. It is finished. Can't add to it. You can't, you know, do anything else to complete it. It's paid. It's done. And the hall of faith shows the people who were looking to Christ. They were doing the sacrifices looking to Christ. They were obedient, looking to Christ. It was all looking to Jesus. And that's where he picks up and says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these Old Testament saints who were looking ahead to Christ, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Lay aside all of the legalism. Lay aside the old sacrifices. Lay aside all of that stuff. Lay aside the sin that so easily besets. And one of the big ones was, of course, them trying to go back to the law. Lay aside it and run the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. Okay, here's some, here's some grammar, okay? If you know King James or uh, New King James, NASB, the author and finisher of our faith, 
The word there for author, or in this case, founder, is actually the word captain, the leader, the one who sets the course. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way. He is the course. He is the leader. He is the captain and completer. He made the way and he provided the way by giving his life on that cross. So he, we look to Jesus. He's our captain. He's the one who goes before us and we look to him and we keep our eyes on the leader, the captain, because he finished it on the cross. Don't look elsewhere, okay? Look to Jesus, our captain and completer of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For so long, I heard pastors teach that passage that Jesus laid aside his heavenly glory because of the joy that was set before him. That joy was you. That joy was having a relationship with you. That joy was being with you in heaven. That's wrong. That's bad translation. Okay? Yes, Jesus is very happy to have us as his, as his own, as his flock. Okay? Don't get me wrong. But that's not what this says. Okay? When we see the word for, it's a word that means in exchange for, okay? I exchange this for this, all right? In exchange for the joy that he had in the heavenlies, his position and his place with the Father. He humbled himself and came and died on a cross. He made the great exchange. He looked at himself and he laid aside his heavenly glory to endure the cross, to pay the price completely so that we can rest in him. He gave it up. And that is so comforting that he would love us that much. So it wraps up. Rest in this, chapter 13, verse 20. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. They were looking for something more than Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews wraps it up saying, I pray that God will fill you and give you every good thing that you may do his will. It makes me think of what Paul said in Ephesians. He is able to work in you both to will and to do, to give you the power to do it according to his good will. 
what we saw this morning, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think. What else is there? So gang, when you get discouraged, okay, and those fiery darts from the enemy and your own performance mindset and such say, you are no good. You are unworthy. God doesn't love you. God is tired of you. Don't believe it. Because he died for us when we were enemies and sinners and ungodly. Don't believe the accusations. And don't try to add to Jesus. Okay? When people tell you, oh, well, yes, you need Jesus, but you also need to keep the law. Seventh-day Adventists. Okay? I used to work with a couple of them, and the discussions, it was so sad as they were trying to keep the law so that they can appease God when Christ had already paid for it. And it was so burdensome to watch. I felt so bad for them, but they were so entrenched in it. Christ alone. That's it. And you can rest in that. He doesn't change. He doesn't waver. He doesn't fail. Anchor in him. Okay? Anchor in Christ. That's your safe haven. All right? He loves you. Always. From before the foundations of the world, he planned to send his only begotten son for you. Not because you deserved it, not because you were so great. Not because you had it all together. Because you needed him and he loved you. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Rest in that.